1: and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we worked end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey, hunbuds and hunbros! I hope everybody is having a wonderful day. We're gonna to get to the episode really quick, but first, I just wanted to say thank you so much to everybody who has been responding to the call to actions that I've been putting out. You guys are amazing. I seriously, I have the best listeners in the whole entire world. Uh, you guys are freaking incredible. So, I have another call to action. Um, so, for the month of October. So, for the month of October, I am looking for shocking, quote unquote, horror stories. Uh, We tend to tell the spookiest and most just wow stories in October. Um, And I am looking to fill just a couple more. So, if you are listening and you are like, I have a really good story, or you just want to join me and tell a really good story, maybe a true crime story that has an MLM relation, I would love to do that with you. Go ahead and send me an email. And if you could put the subject as MLM Horror Stories so I can find it in that mess I call an inbox, that would be so absolutely wonderful. Um, I also want to say thank you to all of our patrons. You guys are really just super, super incredible. You really make me being able to do this full time a reality. And, um, I'm just so unbelievably thankful for you guys. And I wanted to say thank you to our newest patron, Michelle Deutsch. It really, really means a lot to me. Um, I love the support and I'm doing my best to turn out some really amazing episodes for you guys and to add added bonus content for our patrons. So in this episode, there's over 10 minutes of bonus content on the Patreon website and, they get a couple of days early and ad free. So if that's something that sounds good to you, I would love to have you. Our tier starts at $5. And um, again, I really appreciate all of the support from you guys. You are incredible. Thank you guys so much for being amazing. And a brief content warning. There are a few triggering topics that we talk about. Nothing too in depth or for too long. But I just wanted to let you know so you weren't super surprised when it came up. Enjoy this episode. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. Today, we are going to talk about an MLM that I'm not really familiar about, and then the merger that happens, and then what came of that. So I have somebody here that was with them for quite a while, and I figured let's talk about this, right? (laughs) So I'd like to welcome to the show, Sam. Hey, Sam, how are you? I am great, Roberta. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to talk to you about this. I was on your podcast and I love like being on someone's show and then having them come on mine, especially when our interests and topics intersect. And I don't really know anything about this MLM. I know the brand, but I don't know the MLM. Um, And so I'm really excited to hear your story because you were, you were in it, you were deep in it. So you, you know, you know the truth here. So yeah. Please um, introduce yourself and tell us where you were, what the MLM is, and and how it got started.
2: Well, um, I am Sam Ditka. I have moved on out of all of this. I have a blog and a business and all kinds of stuff. I wear many hats, uh, like many of us do. So I had my second son. I had a great career with Hallmark as a sales representative, Um, severed from them in 2002 when my second son was born um, because I just wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. But like many of us, I was like uh, the baby talk and the diapers and the everything else. And I just wanted to find something that felt like I was providing something within my household that was keeping my brain working in the event that I ever wanted to go back full time. Also, all of my friends were kind of, you know, we were young parents and redoing our homes, but maybe didn't have as much of a budget. And so, I was presented with the opportunity, which is always the way MLMs say it. It's not a business. It's an opportunity uh, with a company called Southern Living at Home. They had founded in the early 2000s and it was home decor items. Some were really reasonably priced. Others were, you know, a few hundred dollars for some like really excessive pieces and it was home party based. I want to say it was like $199, $299, something like that to start up. You got a sampling of product, you got your catalogs, very typical of everybody else. All I really wanted to do was have the parties and I had never really... I think I had been to maybe a longer burger party in the nineties, but that was it. I didn't really know much about the model. And so I was like, okay, this is cool. This is some like mad money. If I wanted to still get my nails done or, you know, whatever. And all I did was have parties with it for a while, sold a ton of stuff. And then my upline left. So this is part of where Southern living became like a bit of a scandal. So she left. I had joined online. She was in Philly. She wasn't someone I knew personally. It was weird how it happened. She left and nobody really seemed to know where she was. She called me and she's like, Hey, so, uh, I went to this other company called taste of home entertaining, also a magazine based home decor company.
1: Right. So that's what I was going to say. It was that Southern living actually is a company and they have a magazine, Southern living. Right. And like brand partnerships and stores and things like that. But in the early 2000s, they also had an MLM leg. Correct. And it was
2: definitely founded with the magazine. Like it was all decor items that would have typically been curated. Um, They had a partnership with Gail Pittman. There are people who are massive, crazy Gail Pittman pottery collectors. And so she did a whole collection for us and we sold a ton of it because it was, you know, hand-painted pottery. It's really beautiful.
1: So Um, it's like people that maybe have uh, a subscription to Southern Living and they're in the magazine, they're looking at it and going, oh my gosh, look at this beautiful living room. And then the items that are featured in the magazine are also sold or similar items sold through the Southern Living at Home through the independent representatives of the MLM.
2: Correct. And if you think of like kind of your typical influencer, that didn't exist you know, I'm that old that like the internet was barely a thing. So, um, but it was a similar kind of thing, like inspired by this look in Southern living. And it was so great. And, you know, there were vases with like flower arranging and I did a lot of really creative stuff with it because I was more into just selling the product. So I would do like a flower arranging class and have the different vases and how you can use them and because again, young moms weren't, we didn't have the gene necessarily to do all this stuff. As far as like the, how do you tablescape? How do you, you know, that, that came with like design courses. We didn't have Instagram to show us how to do that. So.
1: Right. Pinterest a, didn't exist. If yes. you liked something on a TV show, you like just had to Try to remember right. what it looked like. Yeah. We didn't have camera phones where you could take a quick photo. Exactly. Even if you wanted to take a picture of like the friend's living room, you'd have to take it on a regular camera. Yeah, The Again, film developed <laughs> developed. at your CVS, right? Like People that were not around before technology is the norm. I love talking about the nineties and the aughts and the MLMs and how they ran compared to today. Because yes. today it's so easy. And you're saying like you were teaching classes on flower arranging and then giving right. options of vases. Like that is something that I remember, like not exactly that, but I remember going to parties like that where you would go to make a of page or you would go to create a card or like it was a crafting party right. and then or, you know, a, a decor party. And then if you like some of the stuff, it was also there available to buy, but it was more of like actually getting together and doing stuff. That's why people didn't mind going because there was food and it was fun. Now it's this horrible Facebook invitation that you get 24 hours before and you're just like, ugh, and it's horrible. Yeah. And, and I will
2: tell you, I, the further along we got with internet and social media, when it came to being involved in MLM businesses, because I did a couple of them the less I liked it because it just, the whole thing became spammier. You know, it used to be about making yourself really unique and different in your niche and how to organically meet people. You were going out to coffees. You were, and my God, I mean, I was like stuck at home with little kids all day. So I actually went, they were always on Thursdays because the ladies like to drink on Thursday nights and spend money, you know? So like every Thursday night, my husband would come home from work. I would take all my shit and I'd go to someone's house and I would set up this beautiful tablescape. I would maybe do flower arranging or, you know, we'd put out like a charcuterie board and I would be selling the actual board, whatever it was. I had these like great friends that I was getting from it, from helping them decorate their houses. And then they'd bring me in after, okay, my stuff came in. Where should I put it? Should I put this on the mantle? Should I do this? So if you're a creative person, that was really exciting to me. And my dad was in furniture and design growing up, so I was like, "This is great," you know. Was like, I grew up with this stuff. Anyway, so my my upline calls me, and she's like, "So, Taste of Home Entertaining, would you want to come with us? Because we're brand new, and you know, the sooner you get into this type of a business, the more money you make." And I thought, okay, I I don't even have a team, so I don't really understand anything. About how I get paid on somebody else because this same woman had never actually trained me. You know, she didn't teach me that if you hire people, you know, bring people on, there's more money. So I was just doing the parties and I was like, so, so help me out. You, you left this one business that was home decor based on a magazine that you could get at the checkout in the grocery store to go to the exact same thing but now you're going to go back to your same customers and tell them but this stuff's better like they've just bought all your friends had parties with you they've all spent thousands of dollars and now you're gonna go that stuff's ugly now now you need this stuff I was already (laughs) kind of like you know these aren't replaceable items not like a food item that you use it's it's replenishable this is like you buy a vase and you
1: don't really need more right you know it's like the products are inconsequential it doesn't matter here we are she's like well these ones are better well why well because I sell these ones now like that's the only reason and I remember talking to Robert Fitzpatrick uh and the example was I need to take the, you know, the supplements, you know, they're so, so important. Yeah. Uh, and then when you leave, it's like, oh, I'm not taking them anymore. But what do you mean? Like you said, they cured cancer. Well, they're kind of expensive and I don't really, I don't really use them anymore. But you said right. like six months ago, they were the everything, everything to you. So it's, again, it's the same. It's that same indoctrination. It doesn't matter. Yes. It's that right. blind loyalty to a brand and right. only one company and only one brand. It's very culty. It's very MLM and I don't really see it anywhere outside of these pyramid schemes.
2: Yeah. And again, it would be different if it was like I I was leaving to go sell a completely different product, but the same product under, it was just weird to me. Right. So I I was like, all right, I am a nation unto myself here in Pittsburgh. I don't have an upline anymore because she clearly left. I'm going to go to a meeting. There was a regional meeting in a hotel and I was like, I'm going to go. And at that point, my husband and I have been married for 10 years. At the end of that year, it would be 10 years. I'm sitting in this meeting and you're going to laugh because it's like my first exposure. And I was like, oh my God, I want it all. One of the tippy-toppy people is there and you know, they're talking about the incentive trip that's coming in June. All right, So everybody, ladies, I'll close your eyes and imagine you're in Puerto Rico you're on this amazing vacation and you're hanging out with all your friends and you're drinking cocktails at the swim up bar and then you get to go on an ex you know an excursion on a side and blah blah blah. and you go through all these things and on your final night at the celebration party you've just won an award for being like one of the top sellers And you're there with your husband and you're slow dancing. And he whispers in your ear, I am so proud of you that you did this amazing thing. And I was like, where do I get that? It's my 10th anniversary. I don't work outside of the home. What the hell am I going to give my husband as an anniversary gift? Because I knew what he was planning. And I'm like, I can't compete with that. So I was like, awesome. So I get all the information. I come home. I throw it in front of him. I said, we're going to Puerto Rico in June. And he's like, okay, you're going to try to go to Puerto Rico in June. I'm like, no, we're going. I learned all about manifestation, which by the way, I believe in, okay, I do, but uh, this was my first foray into it. I'm like, I'm going to do this. So
1: I will say something about manifestation, the difference between like actual manifestation of like positive thoughts and having good vibes and like putting out into the world what you want and like working towards those things and having them come to you is not the same as just like sitting on the couch being like, I really wish I had a pony. I'm going to manifest it right now. You know? So I think a lot of people, when they hear manifesting, think about the person on the couch, wishing for a pony and not the person who's like actively working toward the goal while also envisioning the goal while they work towards it. So anybody that was like manifesting, I just wanted to quickly pop in there and yeah,
2: that up. but th- that was really my first, like, I'm just going to decide I'm going on this trip and then I'll figure out how to make it happen. I decided to start recruiting people, you know, I'm recruiting and I get the early incentives and we do it like blah, 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 blah. So we win the trip. It's amazing. We get to the airport because we uh, like won the trip. I was like, do you want to upgrade our flight? Right? Yeah, let's do that. And so, you know, we get to the airport and we decide to throw a couple hundred bucks at it. And we're going to now fly first class to Puerto Rico. This is going to be awesome. It was phenomenal. Like it really, really was so much fun. You're in Puerto Rico for a week. You're drinking rum drinks all week. You're going, you know, snorkeling and hiking in the rainforest. And there are a couple of breakout seminars where they're talking about stuff that you can do for your business. But it was a dream. It was an absolute dream. And then of course they tee you up for, well, you know, our next big trip is the director's retreat, but to win that one, you need to have a bigger team, right? So they start you out with, this is how anybody can win a trip. But then if you want to win this bigger trip, you got to do more. It just totally was preying on my whole stay at home momness of wanting to have extra money to travel with. So I was like, all right, we're going to, we're going to do this. So continue to try to work on the team. In the meantime, I come to find out that this Taste of Home Entertaining was actually founded by one of the original founders of Southern Living at Home. (gasps) He left and Southern Living is suing him (laughs) for breach of contract because of course he had a non-compete for like two years, but then he immediately competed and like it was a whole mess and we didn't really, th- it was inconsequential for us as a team because we were like, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing and their product isn't as good and it's fine. It's not really competition. I've got my nice little team. Then they announced one of these incentive trips to Disney World for people listening to your show. I am like a crazy Disney person. I, we take our kids all the time. I'm actually also a Disney travel agent, like the whole thing, right? So this is in the early days of my Disneyest, And I'm like, I'm going to win the trip for the whole family to go to Disney. And I make a little chart with like a silhouette of Mickey and I have to sponsor two new people. So the middle part of the Mickey's head is my personal sales And then I have to qualify each of these two new people and I have it posted on the wall and the kids are coloring it in. Like I was a hundred percent in. I go through and the incentive period ended at the end of April. And in April, I get really sick and the doctor's like, it's just a virus. It'll pass, blah, 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 blah. Long story short, I end up with rheumatic fever. What? How? Okay. This has really nothing to do with the job. Um, It was like strep that went undiagnosed, turned into scarlet fever, rheumatic fever. I ended up at the hospital, blood work, checking my kidneys, the whole thing.
1: Are you just going so hard that you're ignoring the fact that you're kind of slightly under the weather and it's just getting worse and worse and worse to the point that you are? Maybe,
2: but like I went to the doctor and I said, Hey, my kids had friends over they had strap and my doctor was like, it's not presenting like strap. It's not strap. It's a virus. And then I was like, not able to walk because my joints were so racked with this. So now it's like April 28th and I have like $400 of my own sales still to get. And the two people who signed up under me they signed up, they got their kits and that was what we like to call a kidnapper, right? Oh, they paid yes. their money and then never actually wanted to sell it. They just wanted the discount.
1: Yes. That big stick discount. Yeah. Did you call
2: them kidnappers? Absolutely.
1: Okay. Kidnappers. And so many people admit to it in the comment sections of things. They're like, I yes. did that. I kidnapped for like 40 different MLMs. I'm just yes. like, what?
2: Yeah. I had recruited two kidnappers. So I'm like. Son of a bitch. So it's April 28th. I have two days. I have to sell $1,000 for Susie Cream Cheese and $1,000 for Betty Rubble and $400 for myself. And so I call corporate. And I'm like, look, clearly I almost died. Could I just have an extra 24 hours? Could I just have until like the end of May 1st? One extra day. Nope. If you want it bad enough, you'll get it.
1: Oh my God.
2: Yes. If you want it bad enough, you'll get it. What does this mean? Just like, you know, though, this
1: is part of
2: the people who aren't successful just didn't work hard enough. And what that means is you didn't cut into your profit, gaslight your friends, cry on social media, like open up a
1: new line of credit.
2: Yeah. Whatever. You didn't do all the things. No, we can't do anything else. So I'm like. All right, so how am I gonna do this? So, I get super creative because I had worked in marketing and sales as like a big girl corporately, so I get super creative, and um you actually mentioned this when we were talking on on my podcast yesterday about the whole like you know, stay up till two o'clock in the morning. I decide that I'm gonna create this contest. I took the hostess rewards from my party and each of these other two that needed to qualify. And I figured, okay, I have to sell $1,000 here and $1,000 here and $400 here. So that's basically three parties. I am going to make competitions amongst my customers. So it was like, everybody gets 10% off. Um, The largest order gets the half price ice bucket. The biggest orders get registered to be the hostess. And then even the order that comes in at the weirdest time of night, which meant I had to stay up all night, you know, and then the order that comes in at the weirdest time of night gets something else like, and giving away all my benefits, all my profit, all this stuff, just to make the volume to fill in my Mickey head that my kids are like, but mom really
1: want to go so right. so like you're staying up super late you're right. literally not going to make anything all of this right. is like volunteer hours of work And
2: by the way so this you can is earn this literally trip. like the first day i feel even functional after having rheumatic fever and i'm gonna stay up for like two whole
1: days to win this
2: fucking trip to disney world for my kids
1: and so, how much did that how much was that trip like worth that you I don't
2: monetarily I mean, they we weren't staying on Disney property, so and it was summer, and like who the hell goes to Florida from the north in the summer, so I mean they got a good deal it, it wasn't much like it just wasn't much, all right. I end up winning the trip. I end up getting it. I sell every dollar at like eleven fifty seven p m on April thirtieth. I get the last sale in. I fill in the Mickey head. I actually run into my kids' rooms, wake them up, tell them. I'm like, we're going to Disney. I felt like I won the Super Bowl. And I am a person who is motivated by recognition, right? That's why I'm like a salesperson. And so I was like, all right. So I didn't make any money, but this is a great story. I worked my ass off. And when we get to that dinner, when they start recognizing the people who won the trip, they're totally going to pull me up on stage Dope because mean. what, what I knew about these convention things is, you know, there was always a story of, Oh, Judy was in a car accident at the beginning of the incentive period and had both of her arms and both of her legs amputated, but still managed to recruit 85 people to her team That's while her
1: house was on fire the exactly. entire month.
2: Right. And entire so if month. you don't feel good you're like well I suck right I don't want I'm definitely enough. not
1: working hard enough <laughs>
2: right I'm definitely not working hard enough if I don't amputate all of my limbs and my house is on fire <laughs> I get to the thing and not a single solitary person said a word and I was like I might be fucking done like wow I, I was like You know, like I hadn't made any money, but I was going to get a little crystal something, you know, and applause.
1: You know what? Like that's so the bait and switch of MLM when they do that stuff. Because I remember when I was in MLM, when I was in LuLaRoe, like seeing what was happening to people like in the future, right? Like something was happening now, like someone was getting recognized for something and being like, oh my gosh, if I do that, I will also get recognized. And Mm -hmm. just like you working my ass off qualifying for the thing, getting to go and being like, this is when they're going to say my name. And instead of like saying the names, like they had done previously, there was too many people. So they just like flashed a screenshot of all the names. And I was just like, wait, what? And it was just like, what? why And it was always like that, where you were like the carrot, they were dangling. They're like, come check out this carrot. It's so amazing. And you're like, look at that big fat, juicy carrot. And when you get there, it's like the one that fell and rolled behind the fridge that you find when you move the fridge to clean it. And it's like this little shriveled
0: yes! little carrot.
1: And that's what it was. And you're like, that's the carrot I was chasing. Yeah, Like that's what it feels like. I just, yeah, you know, I just don't think people understand that. Like it, there's so much psychological manipulation, yes. of, it's even rewards and treats and yes. recognition that they dangle yeah. and you're like, I'm going to do that just to hear your name. Yep, And then they're like, yeah, oh, we're not doing that this year. It's just not in the budget. Sorry. And this is that, that, so
2: when I talk about like a later company I was with, like that really played into what happened to me as well. Like I just kind of, even though I knew I just kind of fell back into it. Okay. So at this point with Southern living, I'm like, I'm kind of done. Like, I'm just not going to work that hard. It's fine. If my friends want to have, a. am going back to what it was. I don't care about having a team. I'm just going to do some parties. My house is decorated, whatever.
1: Were you making decent money just doing the sales or were you making quite a bit more with the team as well?
2: Uh, Yes, question mark. Because also then the new catalog would come out and I'm like, oh my God, I want it all. So that's why I say yes, question mark. It, It wasn't enough. I never really, really got to the point where it was like, I am making consistently you know, a mortgage payment, uh, you know, it was, I was paying for fun stuff that was hard to qualify as like, yes, this is definitely like a contribution because there was also enough, like I'm cutting into my discount because I'm trying to meet a, and that's why I was like, I'm just not doing it anymore. Straight retail, make my commission. Don't worry about anybody else. Don't feel like training them. And I, and that was it. So I did not go to the convention that year. Which was, so that trip was like in June. Convention was usually the beginning of August. And again, I was done. I'm like, I'm not spending any more money on this. So I don't go. And on the first day of convention, I'm sitting at the pool and my phone starts blowing up. Now we have cell phones. (laughs) This is again how long ago this was. And my phone is like lighting up, lighting up, lighting up. Like what is going on? So remember I told you about the guy that left to go start Taste of Home Entertaining and we were suing him, okay? So everybody goes to convention and they introduce the brand new CEO of Southern Living at Home and it's the guy. No. Yeah. So his solution to being sued was, why don't I just buy you guys back and merge them? No. So now our CEO is this guy that we know lies and breaks right. his word. So we know this. And some people, the original people, were like, but he was really great. I'm actually kind of glad he's back. But then everybody else is like, I don't even know what this means. And then we're like, but who wins? You have two competing products with two different brand names. Taste of Home Entertaining was like one of those little magazines on the top shelf next to the Soap Opera Digest at the Walmart. So I was kind of like, I think Southern Living should win because that's like the big, glossy Hearst Publications thing.
1: I vote for Taste of Southern Living at Home.
2: (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. So they decide to rebrand with a third new name, which was Willow House. Willow House, and yes. yeah and so from that point things started to go downhill really quickly the products were super cute at first again I still have some of this stuff because I like I did like it um but the stuff was really cute at first and it was more like southern living but this is when the vibe like it wasn't as much like that big big old southern decor it was um more like natural and organic and so it was kind of moving in that direction and then like 6 months later they're like and now we're going to sell jewelry too and i went i'm done like this they're just throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks and so sayonara and so i left all mlms and everything for you know a couple years Then in 2014, I get a call from this woman who was friends with one of my old Southern living at home friends. And this woman calls me, she's from the East coast. She talks really fast. She's like, Hey, you and I have a mutual friend and blah, blah, blah. I'm looking for a corporate recruiter for this luxury clothing company. Mm. I'm like, Oh, and it was direct to consumer. Like not really multi-level at all. It was definitely, even though everybody was an independent contractor at that point, people had like an agency, like, a, like basically it was pop-up boutiques in your house, trunk shows. People would just straight sell, make their commission, money was good. So instead of everybody could recruit and build a team, they hired area recruiters who oh, developed a okay. business. So I was put on a stipend. It was an independent contractor, but I had a stipend and this was like, I'm not going to lie. It was like a good New York company offices in the garment district. They had a long history.
1: Now, could anybody join or when you, when you applied, was there like a very specific kind of person?
2: Actually, no. If I'd gotten that phone call when I was 35, I wouldn't have even spoken to them because as I mentioned with like Southern living, we were all young and poor and trying to like redo our homes. Nobody had disposable income. Nobody was spending money on their clothes. When I was 44 and they came to me and I'm like, okay, people like student loans were paid off and people were in their houses, maybe going to their second home, willing to spend a little more in their wardrobe. So I was like, okay, I could do this now. And, And I knew people older than me at this point as well that might want to shop that way. But there was an interview process. Part of the, you know, the interview process was like, here's what the clothes look like, and this is the way the the business model is set up. You would do four trunk shows a year, um, sell to your community. But we had to actually qualify these people. Now I'm thinking at this point, this is good. There's an interview process. I'm making sure they're committed. There's no kidnapping because. You don't own the product. The product is shipped to you and then you send it out. So you can't, you can't just buy in at a low level and keep your product And they it was really dynamic women who'd had like great careers that you were searching for. So here's the one problem that started to kind of not sit right with me as I was like recruiting and, and hiring these people. Um, yes, they did have to buy in, but they had to qualify for it. One of the things you had to do to qualify was submit a list of a hundred names of people that you would solicit.
1: Oh my God. What? So names and contact information or just names.
2: Well, it started with just names and they would run it through a database. And it did at first, it didn't really bother me because it was like, run it through the database as like a law firm would, is there a conflict? Like, you know, let's say you're on my list of people you buy from me. I'm an existing person. Now somebody else is being recruited. They're also a friend of yours, and now you show up on their list. So they just want to make sure these are your list isn't one hundred percent someone else's list. Also, that there isn't too much crossover. And again, initially it seems like this is a way to set yourself up for success. And nobody was using those lists to contact anybody. It was literally just, I've got a hundred names that did not match up with any existing customers. And so that's okay. And what, and part of it was also, you were trying to like help them think about who they would ask so that they start more successfully. When it started to bother me that we were doing that it was the company decided to actually buy Salesforce software to start tracking our recruiting. Oh, and wow. so now our spreadsheets not only have to have just a list of names, but we're running it through Salesforce, which which is consumer marketing database collection, and we're putting in phone numbers and email addresses, and so they're just uploading all this contact information.
1: So you—they're right. essentially data mining their customers. And like... Yes.
2: Oh, my right. God. So now at this point, I was like, I don't think I want to be the recruiter anymore. I'm going to step down. And I'm just going to sell because like that, no bueno, I don't like that.
1: Was there anywhere like that said like this information is going to be run through a database and stored and will be used for marketing and advertising purposes or anything like that, that people knew that their data was going to be because these people didn't even know they were on these lists, right? Because you're the one producing the list. You're not reaching out to all hundred people and saying, is it okay if I put you on this list? You're thinking it's completely innocuous. Oh yeah. Here's a list of a hundred people that might buy from me. No problem. Right. Which is something MLMs do all the time. Right. And so it, it probably didn't even seem out of character or weird to be doing at all right. in the first place. So, like, one of the things that happened
2: is because I was in this business development role. And so, when I left the recruiting role, I had people on my list, you know, my network. And I might have like a guy on my list that I was calling because his wife was really involved with a local charity in X Town on the other side of the city and I need to call him to get her information because she's like the woman to know in her town and she'll know who I should be talking to. And I loved recruiting that way because I got to meet so many cool people. The Problem is the minute I stopped recruiting that way. Now there's a total stranger calling this guy and right. saying, Sam Ditka gave me your name. And I'm like, well, I didn't like, mm, I really didn't what happens a lot with MLMs and, and these things, you know, you get an incentive if you sell this amount and we all will admit to, I was my own customer. My mom was a customer. My sisters were customers. You had all these different, cause you had to have X number of customers by X amount of product. And so sometimes a new customer would show up on the list. And so when I fully left this company and, and I'll talk a little bit about why I did, Ultimately, they were calling my mom, my sisters, my in-laws, and my husband. Hey, I have this great opportunity for a side hustle. My husband is the managing partner of his firm, oh my God. and he just get this phone call, and he's like, "What the fuck? Like, why am I getting this phone call? Why?" And I'm like, "Because you are my customer list." I, and literally the same last name. The list, uh, it just so horrendous. And so <laughs> God, man, at that point, it's, and it's so Emma Yes, and at that point, I'm kind of losing my mind because, you know, when I left and they're trying to replace me with my own family. Would you be interested in this job in recruiting? My mom's like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> you know what's happening. I had to. Now I have my own email newsletter from my blog and. I know the rules. I know the like the trade commission rules regulating use of lists. And if you get um so this is a fun fact anybody listening. If you have I think it's 5 reports of abuse, like if people unsubscribe from your email list and say I never signed up. This is spam, you know, whatever. If you get 5 in a certain period of time, they, they will come in and shut down your website and you get fined like $3,000. So as a business owner, an actual business owner, I know this, but these companies just keep handing the list along to the next person. And so it's super illegal that now Susie Cream Cheese has my list. She's now trying to recruit from my list. She's emailing people from my list. I did not authorize that. And technically they could get shut down. And especially when they're saying things like, Sam Ditka gave me your name. It was super shady. I then had to send an email out to my entire database who wasn't even all getting my newsletter from my website, from my blog. But literally everybody I had in my database, I was like, I did not authorize anybody using my list. I apologize greatly you know, is part of my job and please feel free to unsubscribe and report them as spam, you know, and and just, yeah.
0: So, um,
2: you know, and ultimately that company was bought out by a separate venture capital group. They just kept mining the lists and ultimately broke the whole company up and sold off the parts, sold off the inventory, sold off the human resources that came out of these lists to marketing companies. And that's how, that's how they got their money out of it. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. And that sucks. The big three companies that existed in that arena, there's only one left. Two of them have shuttered. One of them, in fact, literally just stopped doing business one day. So people had, this was not the company I was with, but it was called, this was called Doncaster and they were the original of this model of these trunk shows. The Doncaster reps, many of them had the clothing sets. And these sets of clothes for these trunk shows would be worth like fifty, dollars $60,000, not little amounts of money. And so they had like, you know, $50,000 worth of clothes in their house. And Doncaster says, we are done doing business. You need to ship that back. But oh, by the way, we're not paying you your commissions. We can't fulfill the sales you've just booked. And the few that we can, we can't pay you on it. Like we don't have the money anymore, but you have to send us the product back. And what? so then- the, the reps who now are like, uh, I mean, I knew of someone who had, I think she was owed like 20 grand in commissions. It was not a small amount of money. And I will say in this business model, there were people making two, $300,000 a year, just selling clothes from their house, not recruiting. This was not multi-level. Some of these reps were like, I'm just keeping this. Sorry. I've contacted a lawyer and my lawyer told me to keep this set so that I can sell it you know, at a discount and try to earn my money back. And there were massive lawsuits that came out with that particular one because they just stopped paying people. That was one of the signs that I saw was the pay structures were getting different. They started to really encourage people to build their teams. You know, if you have more people in your agency selling with you, you can make more money. They only make 10%. You get the rest of the commission for yourself. But you do all the training and I was like, I, I don't want to work that hard at this anymore. Like I was just kind of having fun with this. And then I was starting my blog and they were using my pictures without paying me on their website. and oh. <laughs> yeah, we, there was a whole cease and desist and it was it was kind of ugly. So I wanted to get back to we were talking about that reward. So the woman that recruited me, I was like in love with this woman. Like, I just thought she was just the, and I still think she's amazing. I do. She's beautiful. She's super kind. Like, and I wanted, I was like a child. I just wanted to make her happy. I wanted her to like me and think I was doing a really good job. And somebody else who was in my training class, and this is why I thought it was really different also. So we get it, we come in, we're on a stipend, we've got this like expense account and we get a bunch of free clothes and they fly you to New York and they put you up in a luxury hotel, right. By central park for your training. And so you're like, this is not a fraud. This is like, right? you know, they're spending money on us. And I actually, this is a management role. It really, this was a big deal. So one of my friends joined the same time as I did. And she was in my training class. And so we're in the same region with the same boss. And the two of us were like competing to be the class pet. You know, it was like, I'm going to make her love me more. No, I, and it was a joke, but we sort of fought over her attentions. And when we first started and we had the original company that owned us, it was great. It was this model. Everybody, everybody was making money. And then they sold to this venture capital group and that's when it started to turn and they were using the lists. And I really felt for my boss because she was under such pressure. She was extremely loyal to the management and ownership of the company, the founders who were still partners in it. And that's when it started to feel really mlm even before they were asking us to build our teams, because like I had a woman on my team whose dad was going into hospice and I was like, she's not going to be able to do her show. My regional director's response was hospice means different things. Why don't you just do her show for her? And I was like, no, you know, it's going back to that whole, if you want it bad enough, like if you work in actual corporate and someone doesn't do their job, there is an infrastructure in place to get that person's work done. It's not, if you want it bad enough, you're going to go do it. There's a structure to say, hey, Roberta, you know your colleague is on maternity leave. We're going to give you some of her work and some of her work might go somewhere else. And we're going to figure out how to bonus on that and take care of people. But this was literally like, you should go and do her show for her and donate all of your profits to whatever kind of cancer her dad is dying of. You know, I was like, no, ew, that's so gross, you know, yeah. oh. and and horrible. Like, how do I call this woman and go, I know your dad's dying, but could I actually have access to your entire contact list?
1: Right. You're like, but I really can't afford the drop in sales. So do you mind if I come to your house and just do your show for you?
2: Yes. It's just. It's so, it's so, so wrong. And again, they like when they were using my images that I had paid a photographer for, because now I'm running like a business of my actual own, right? I had a photographer that I used and I paid her and editing and the cost of my website. And they were literally picking pictures off my website and my Instagram and putting it on their website with a link to shop it. And it wasn't even my shopping link. Like that would be easy. You don't have to pay me oh directly. If someone likes the way I look in that and it prompts them to click and buy it, just give me the commission from that sale. I'm not asking you to pay me thousands of dollars ahead. And they're like, well, we can't do that. I'm like, of course you can. Everything is trackable on a computer. They're like, we can't possibly track that. I'm like, of course you can.
1: So it, it, it was, oh, so it's bad. just the deception and the lying yeah. and the just making things up and being like, no, that's impossible. What do you mean? You're yeah. no, I mean, it's insane what MLMs and scammy companies will tell people hoping that they're just so ignorant on the subject that they're not going to combat like what they're telling them and say, wait a second, that doesn't sound right. Or that's not true. Or that's not how that happens. They're yeah. just banking on the fact that you probably don't know. Yes.
2: What's interesting, though, is like the people I find that the people who've gotten out are actually really good, even if they fell into that hole. I was deceived, I was gaslighted, I drank the Kool-Aid, the whole culty, you know, um, grooming piece of it, they get out of it and then they become a real estate agent or they become a business owner or they get into blogging or podcasting or some kind of business and they kick ass at it almost because they've been through that indoctrination. They know what they don't want to do. They want the ownership of it. I, Why well, I make only 25% of it when
1: I can make a hundred percent of it? Um, it's interesting because it's MLMs are co- kind of almost like a, what not to do business boot camp where you're like thrown to the wolves and you just are completely destroyed. You come out of it going, okay, now I know what I want to do for real.
2: (laughs) Yes. But there are good skill sets that come out of it. I mean, the bravery it takes to pick up the phone and call people, you know, was like very helpful to me. It made me really brave. You and I are a great example to reach out to someone that I follow on social media and be like, Hey, I have a podcast. I would love to have you on. I think your story is really cool. My, I tell resilient stories and you know, I think it would be a great fit. I have no shame in reaching out and asking for business that way.
1: In in your experience of, of like interviewing all of these true crime survivors and talking to all these different sort of people with extraordinary stories, like what are some of the commonalities uh, that these people are Are finding like different grooming techniques or like what what's going on here that that people are becoming victims so um kathy kleiner
2: rubin who was the the ted bundy survivor she obviously was not one of the people who might have been kind of groomed by him like she was not one who got in a car with him or anything um but so her story's a little bit different but i also interviewed uh if anybody has seen the keepers on netflix about the um murder of a nun who was told about um, systemic abuse by the priest in the Catholic high school. And not only was it the priest, but it was also the Baltimore police. And it was like, oh my God. It's like, definitely that is a true crime documentary to watch because it is wild. But the women involved in that, I interviewed one of the women who does the like armchair investigative work trying to get justice for um, Sister Kathy Sesnick. Um, as well as one of the survivors of Father Maskell, who was the priest who did all this stuff. And Teresa Lancaster, who uh, was abused by Father Maskell, like there's so much of gaslighting and guilt and leveraging, you know, whereas in like MLMs, it's if you really wanted this enough, You would commit to staying up for 48 hours to get whatever this thing is to win your contest to, you know, get to the next level in the company. There were some commonalities with like, this is, this is how you, God will love you. If you do these things, there is a, this is definitely like a not safe for work comment. But um, one of the things that came up from the stories out of the keepers was father Maskell uh allegedly made communion of his stuff for these girls so yeah really yeah there was a chalice involved and it's it's yeah yeah it's so I mean think about how that would fuck with you born and raised in the church and now you've got this authority who's telling you you want to get into heaven you got to do these things and the ritual that you go through at Sunday mass, we're going to replicate here. Yeah. It, it's
1: it, it, Jesus it, fucking Christ.
2: Uh, yeah. Um, and then there were also a ton of scare tactics, um, because he would look for vulnerable girls in the school. So oh God, I'm kind mean, of I, like,
1: I hear this and it makes me think like Epstein, like Warren Jeffs. Like, oh, Oh, for just, sure you know, Keith ranieri like I'm, I'm so there yes. with these disgusting people.
2: Yes. And it's, it's leveraging a person's desire for spiritual enlightenment, uh, enlightenment for, um, recognition. I mean, it could be as something as simple, like we talked about, like I love to be recognized for this big achievement and therefore I did some crazy things so I could walk across the stage. Or you have a, you know, 14, 15 year old girl who got in trouble one day from her mom because her mom caught her making out with her boyfriend and her mom had her counseled by the priest who's like, well, now I know how to keep her shut up because I'll tell her mom I'm saving her daughter. I'm saving her. I'm counseling her. She's going to be just fine. I am going to assault her. I'm going to drug her. I'm going to pass her around to my friends. I am going to have the police assault her. I'm going to take her for an illegal abortion. And and, and it's these are really... the people
1: that we trust and are told to trust.
2: Correct. My communities, and
1: not just people, like communities, whole communities. Yeah, and, and, and
2: and and all that is probably the most consistent thing that I have learned with my loving true crime stuff is that people, and they'll find the good thing. And maybe they start, I'm not going to say that like this priest started the right way. Maybe, maybe a Keith Raniere meant for people to get smarter. I don't believe that because like, I know too much about it at this point, but
1: I mean, Maybe. at what point we just have to realize that these people are sociopaths, right? There's 4% of the world that is a sociopath. That's more than people that have and suffer from anorexia. Anorexia, I think is only 3.8% of the world. So sociopaths, yeah. so one in 25 people. So at least one kid in every single classroom is going to grow up to become a sociopath who has no emotion, no cares. Yeah. could Become a serial killer. Could become a pyramid scheme. Could become a cult leader, like whatever. do not care. Right. One, one in 25, 4%. It's yeah. And, an epidemic.
2: And the thing is, is like, I try as a person who, you know, has had my own share of, of, you know, traumas and things growing up. I do have a shred of empathy to say the priest who abuses clearly was abused,
1: Right. right? I mean, right. We say hurt people, hurt people, right?
2: Right. But, you know, in that, you, we're talking about the percentages, like 100% of abusers were abused, 100% of abusers were abused, but it's such a minuscule percentage of people who were abused, who then abused and become abusers. Right. right? So, so you're saying one in 25 people So, you have 25 people who are abused. One in that 25 is a sociopath. And then that's the one who's going to get into the, the generational patterns. It's authority figures. It's someone that you come to respect because of the way they've told their story, that they're self-made. I think so many of these MLMs, that they're, they're founded by someone who's like, I, I'm self-made and I use this model. I, you have to know this. You go to a convention for one of those things. And There's always a testimonial, which again, you're like, this is so curated get a testimonial from someone who's like, I had $9 zillion in debt and I started to sell this supplement and now I have a fleet of luxury cars, okay? Is that what I have to have to have success? Then you're sitting there and you're going, well, they started from less than I have and they made it. So I should be able to do this myself, you know? And And you really start to feel like, Shit about yourself if you can't do the thing. And so, it consistently, you know, cult leaders and systemic abusers, they're really all doing the same thing, just on a, a, a grosser, more evil scale, but it's degrees of evilness. I mean, you know, if you're taking advantage of a stay at home mom who genuinely wants to contribute to her household, you're still gross, you know? Yeah, so absolutely. That's, that's what I have learned from my obsession for true crime and then kind of tying it in. And actually, I will tell you this. So India Oxenberg from the Nixium Cult, who was on my podcast, True Crime, I know her from the documentary. The reason she agreed to talk to me is after watching the Nixium documentaries, I messaged her on Instagram and I said, hey, I know this is like a crapshoot and, you know, like I'm no one kind of thing. But I watched that documentary and I have a history in multi-level marketing and all I kept thinking was there, but for the grace of God, go I. I believe because what they were selling, what they were selling at Nixium, this enlightenment, this education, this go out in your community and serve others, I 100% would have been down with. I would have been in Nixium with you I felt that the whole time because I know what it feels like to want to make your boss proud, your Allison, your whoever it is, your Keith. Right. You want to make them proud. You want their approval. I know what that feels like. And she was like, Yes, I'll talk to you because you do know what that feels. like, I believe you. It's just, it's fascinating to me. And that that's kind of coming out consistently as everyone I've talked to on my podcast has like something, you know, there was a, there was a rock bottom moment. There was a, something really bad happened to them and it inspired actual art. It inspired, um, Teresa Lancaster from the keepers ended up going to law school. And she now is an ad, a national advocate for sexual abuse survivors. She's trying to get laws changed. She's amazing. She I love up- hearing
1: that. I love, I love seeing survivors like kick ass and like make change. It's so amazing. I love it. It's like my favorite thing.
2: Honestly, that has fueled even my own story. Like whatever it is that you've survived, you know, you survived LuLaRoe. And so you're helping others to realize it's not their fault. There's actually a plan in place to make them do these crazy things that they're doing. You know, they are victim to a plan. They're not just dumb because that's part of what happens with all this is you're like, Oh my God it it feels it feels like a purpose like to take people who are are maybe not feeling confident in in choices that they've made and in circumstances that have happened to them and, and sharing a story and saying, look, a bad shit happens to other people too. And you don't necessarily have to end up as a New York Times bestselling author to have success in your survival story and your thrival story. You know, I call them thrival stories. Because that's like that. really yeah. That's really what it is is I didn't just get out of it and I'm okay. Like it brought me to a, a greater purpose. And I think there's amazing people out there, you know, like you and like some of these others that I've talked to who, you know, when you've had someone gas, like gaslight you like that, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to get away from.
1: It is. And I'm so glad that you are out of MLM, that you have this podcast, that you're talking to survivors of all different kinds of scams and frauds and things. I love that. Um, are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Yes, absolutely. All right, Sam, what is one word that encompasses how you feel about multi-level marketing? Shady,
2: like particularly with like internet, like it just got, it got really, anything that was good about it doesn't exist anymore in my mind, so shady.
1: A warning to somebody who is wanting to join an MLM. Be
2: prepared. I think that there are people who can get into them and, and probably do okay. Just be prepared to be, messed with emotionally. Um, they, they're great storytellers to try to get you to get full buy-in for whatever it is. And I I probably would say before you commit, see if there's some other business you could start on your own, just like really do your own thing, really do your own thing and, and own it instead of helping someone up here, but really you're just helping someone up here.
1: What is the worst MLM in your opinion?
2: I probably would have to say Nixam, and that's a safe answer. That's a really safe answer. Um, There are, there's bad in all of them. There's good in some of them. But obviously, if you're getting to the point where you are branding women and creating sex subcult out of your organization, that's definitely, and they're still, they still exist. They still, there are people who still follow Keith Ranieri, who stand outside his prison cell, who are organized, like they still buy into all of it. I mean, maybe it's not a business model, but yeah, I I would say that's probably been like the worst of the worst.
1: What is the hardest lesson that you learned in MLM?
2: Nobody actually cares about you. (laughs)
1: Like no one
2: who is yeah but also that it's not it's not really your business um and that one was a hard it's a really hard thing when you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to contribute and you are you have all the best intentions to finally accept the fact that it's not actually your own business that's really hard too
1: And lastly, the positive takeaway from your time in MLM.
2: Tons of dynamic, amazing, remarkable women. And I'll be honest with you, even those that, you know, like I mentioned that, that, that put pressure on me, I recognize the pressure that they were under. Um, and I actually kind of feel sad for them. Like I, I don't resent anybody who, was trying to succeed for trying to get me to succeed because that's the way everybody was trained to do it. I just chose to step away from it because it was keeping me up at night. So um, like really, really smart, dynamic, incredible women. And I definitely got some extremely marketable skills out of it. As far as like my business intuition uh, is dramatically increased. My like we said that that sense of what i don't want to do is still comes out as a positive. Ultimately even ba- i am one of those people roberta that like the bad is part of the story. So i did not have these great experiences except they were a step closer to where i am now. There's a there's a great book by Paulo Coelho called The Alchemist. And there's a, there's a passage in it that, it's, you know, it's a, it's a fable um, and uh, allegorical to success. And the main character, he's trying to get to Egypt because his great treasure is going to be in Egypt and he saves up his money and he leaves Italy, I think, and he gets to Egypt and he's immediately robbed. And so he has to take a job for two more years to make enough money to finish, to get to his great treasure. And he says... I don't tell myself I lost two years towards my treasure. I like to think of it as I'm two years closer to my goal. And so I think that has been just a tremendous positive. There are so many truly resilient women. It's predominantly women that that I worked with um, who did tell their stories, who did really remarkable, amazing things. And learning to learn from those experiences and let them level me up to, to the next thing I'm going to do. I don't think I would have the business platforms that I have without being forced to be really brave.
1: I love that. I absolutely love that. I'm sitting over here. I know it's a podcast and nobody can see, but I'm just like nodding my head and smiling the whole time. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that, yeah. Sam. That's beautiful.
2: Yeah. Anybody who's done it is brave. Anybody who's been in it, whether they succeeded at it or failed at it or whatever, it's brave. It's brave to do it, um, especially because I think that they are intentionally, many of these people are intentionally looking for women who don't think of themselves as brave. Uh, There's a lot of preaching feminism, and the model is actually inherently anti-feminist Um, and so I've taken from that, like how to actually turn what I've learned back into real feminism and promote the efforts of women and praise and applaud their survival stories and, you know, move out of that. So I, I, it was a great education.
1: It was a great education for me. I I don't really have regrets. Um, I I mean, it's true, you know, like not every single journey is paved with rainbows and sunshine. Like there are potholes and speed bumps and cracks in the road. And like, those are part of your journey. It's part of all of it. The ups and the downs, like you cannot have valleys without peaks and you cannot have sweet without sour. And, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes lose sight when they're in the dark parts because they think like, Oh my gosh, like I'm a failure. And it's like, no, this is just another chapter on this journey that you're on. And, you know, everything gets better over time. And I think it's important to be better every day and try to just be better. You're in competition with only yourself. So just be better than the person you were yesterday and you're winning. Yep. It's okay to
2: have a failure. It doesn't make you a failure.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Failure is so normal and we need to remove the stigma of that as well. Thank you so much, Sam. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today and our conversation yesterday. We should just do
2: this every day.
1: (laughs) We should. We should just every morning start our day with some coffee and some chat. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins.